Hi, you're joining us for part two of filmmaker and educator Christina Cotz-Cornejo's close-up interview on the Hangover Lounge blogcast, XCU The Viewfinder, where we discuss screenwriting, filmmaking, audio storytelling, and offer different perspectives on entertainment and all things showbiz related. Christina? For many of us, the diversity question and issues are not abstract. You know, we live them. I can speak about my own experience. I was born to a mother who was Argentinian and an immigrant, immigrant only in that she married my American white father and met in Argentina when he was an embassy guard. And then two years later, he proposed. And then they moved to the U.S., where my mother always said she cried for eight years. I was born in Mont Clemens, but I wasn't raised there. My dad became like a, a salesman and we moved a lot. We were in Arizona for four years and then we moved to Argentina and there was a coup d'etat, the bombings on the streets and everything. And my dad was like, we're getting out of here. So we came back to the U.S. and we settled in Santee, California. Then we moved to Oregon. And then from Oregon, we moved back to San Diego and Santa Ana. And then again, settled down in Huntington Beach during my high school years. And it was actually in my high school years that I was really impacted by the issue of my own identity. And that had to do with, you know, Huntington Beach was a very white community with the exception of a lot of, I guess, farm workers or Mexican-Americans that were working in the fields in that city at the time. And I was perceived as Mexican. Uh, even my best friend in high school called me a beaner as a joke. And I went along with it. But it wasn't until one day when I was riding my bicycle to her home, my best friend's home in Huntington Beach, that the wake-up call of who I am or who I'm perceived to be happened, which I'm riding my bicycle on the street and then realizing there was a car behind me. So I was trying to like make sure I was hugging the side of the road and not in the way. And I was like, oh my God, what is going on? And they they weren't trying to avoid me. They were They were coming right at me. And so I went into the dirt and I skidded out of control and fell to the ground. And the VW bug was a few guys, surfer dudes. They stopped and just bust out laughing. And they told me to go back to Tijuana where I belonged. You know, they said, wet back, get out of here. They drove off laughing their heads off. And I was traumatized to say the least. I went home my dad comes home from work and I tell him what happened. And he's like, but you're white. Why would they say that? You're white. And I was like, okay, I guess I'm not going to be able to have this conversation with my father. So I kind of kept it to myself. I shared it with my friend. She didn't understand. I mean, she's the one calling me a beaner as a joke. So, you know, it, it was just suddenly the eye opener for me of, wow, I'm being seen as something else. And it was at that time where I started really paying attention to the news. I consume a lot of news and simply because I have a bicultural international background, I'm drawn to stories. And it was during the apartheid years and I started identifying with what was happening in South Africa just because of what was happening with me. You know, I'd go to Argentina during my high school years to visit. And when I'd come back, my friends would say, oh, do you guys get around on horse and buggy? And it was like, really? It's like, okay, Buenos Aires is like a major city, folks. 
you know, so it was always trying to counter these bizarre perceptions or ignorant perceptions, and in some cases, racist viewpoints. And that really was a defining moment of my life. And after that, you know, I was like, why do people see me as a Mexican? Even if I was Mexican, I would be proud of it. And so kind of uh, questioning my identity and questioning, you know, how I fit into this society. You know, I left my Ocean View High School, I think it was after my sophomore year, and I went to study in Argentina for a year because I needed to get away from my father and our home life. I was not in a good place because of his drinking and his violence at home. And I told my mother I was going to run away or I was going to kill him. And so she gave me an option to go to Argentina and live with her mother and my aunt. And I was like, I'm going now. And so I packed up my stuff. I moved to Argentina by myself and lived there a year. I enrolled in a school there. And now I was perceived as a gringa. One of my teachers was upset with Americans. So I was the focal point of her wrath. And, you know, every opportunity she could to like talk badly about Americans, she did it when I was in class. And so here I was torn, you know, because I'm like, I'm the American. I, you know, I'm American and I'm proud of that too. Those experiences all have informed me as one, as a human being, and two, as a storyteller. And my dreams to be a filmmaker, those dreams kept me moving forward and getting through all this shit. The thing I can say about your work that I can't say about every filmmaker I know is that I see you in your work. You know, having dreams and having a purpose was really what helped me to get to where I am today. It makes you empathetic and it probably has something to do with your quiet humanity as well. I'm curious how in education and diversity of students, how it's all working today relative to what your experience of it was when we were in school. In some ways, it's really discouraging that here we are having the same conversations, you know, and when this stuff was happening when I was in high school, it's also what propelled me to want to make some changes in society. I studied international relations at USC. I wanted to apply that to making documentaries. I thought I'd be a documentary filmmaker, but those were the Reagan years when I was in college, and that was really challenging and demoralizing, disillusioning, coming out. And I came out during those years. My high school years were bad. Imagine my college years. That was even worse. <laughs> you talk about having seen yourself as a doc filmmaker, and then you have gone through these various incarnations. And I notice in your work now that there's some mixed media that's going on and other interactive projects. So uh, your palette seems to have really expanded. And I wonder how much Emerson has played a role in that with the visual media arts program that you teach in. Well, you know, time, you know, moves, you know, and we go with it and we change. And, you know, just like society has changed from the Reagan years to where we are now, because even though we, we are having these really horrible difficult conversations that should have been addressed in the past, they aren't exactly the same conversations, right? We've moved beyond where we were, which is life. Life moves forward. 
um, whether we want it or not. And so my life as a filmmaker is also evolving. You know, I had a bunch of stories that I wanted to tell that I think if I was coming of age now, I'd probably be able to make them. But a lot of stories in the past, it was like doors were shutting. No, we don't make movies about queer people. No, we don't make movies about black people. You know, it's like, no, it's not possible that a Mexican-American gang member would even be gay. That's not even humanly possible, right? Those are the types of things we would get when you try to present a story. And even at NYU, one of my professors said, Married women don't fall in love with, a, with other women. I'm like, what planet are you on? So there's always, you know, the, either it's a willful ignorance or, you know, people didn't want to see those projects made because they didn't want them to be mainstream. Well, now they are mainstream. So we've made progress. How has your personal history influenced your work? I was looking into my own indigenous background, learning more about my grandfather and, you know, having known that he was Huarpe. He's an indigenous Huarpe. He was a famous musician. Well, sort of famous musician in Argentina. He was in four movies with Paramount Pictures in New York and performed with this iconic tango singer, Carlos Gardel. And, you know, he was living in New York and Chicago um, in the 20s and 30s. And I was always fascinated by him. I never met him, but he's the indigenous person that I, I related to him for some reason. And so I wanted to connect with him by learning about him more and then reading articles where he acknowledges being Cuarpe, which is very unusual in the 1930s for someone to say it proudly. And that just struck me. And so, you know, I went to San Juan and just I'm connected with Huarte people. They're not my relatives, but they're in some ways I'm connected to them. And it just broadened my scope and it led me to ideas for projects, one of which is a VR mixed reality, virtual reality, mixed reality idea concept that I'm working on, of which I was given a $10,000 through the Journalism 360 Challenge. Bravo. Thank you. Lauren, you have a question for, for Christina. Yes. I wanted to, to follow up about your experiences with visibility and colorism. And I, I wanted to know what your vision for the future of film is considering your intersectionality and, and what you would like that visibility of the future of film to look like? Well, that's a great question. Um, I want people to make what they want to make. You know, I've lived my life pretty much on the margins, being always the other. Didn't matter what society I was in or where I fit in, I'm always the other. And so I just hope in the future that we can get to the point where we respect other cultures and other ways of thinking and other perspectives. And so in filmmaking, I also ascribe that desire where, you know, we can really engage with different perspectives and different voices. You know, I hope that in the future, we aren't having the same discussions that you know, I've had 20 years ago and then 20 years before that, you know, that we can get beyond. I'm confident that some people will do that. But as we see in our current political climate, there's a lot of people that are very resistant to change. But I mean, that, that would be kind of a wish is that we, we get beyond just seeing people for one aspect of who they are and that we can 
we can see people for who they fully are. And considering that, what advice would you give to any upcoming filmmakers and writers, even your students? What advice would you give to them knowing that they are the future of film? You know, I hope that our current students really learn about history and that they consume books and that they learn that they aren't in reinventing the wheel but that they have something to say and that they may have contributions to storytelling that maybe we haven't seen. But that requires really an introspection and self-discipline. And I tell my students, you know, what, what is it that you're trying to say that hasn't already been said? We are oversaturated by media right now. You know, I get on Netflix and I want to just turn this thing off. There's just way too many choices and it's all mixed in. I don't know what's, you know, it, it's overwhelming the amount of content that we're being offered. And so I tell my students, what is setting your work apart? What is it different? You know, what is it that makes it worth having in the world? And that's a huge question. And, and it can also be overwhelming. Sometimes I'm like, you know, should I just stop making work myself? Everyone else is making work. But, you know, we're here and we're moved to do something and people are doing great work. People are looking at the surface of everything instead of actually doing the hard work. You know, we've progressed technologically and regressed as thinkers. I just want my students to be thinkers, critical thinkers, analytical thinkers, thinkers. The work is hard. It's challenging. It's exacerbated by where we're at socially and politically and even with COVID as well. Thank you so much. It's yeah, really a pleasure to see you and you look like you're doing really well. Well, thank you so much for inviting me. It's great meeting you, Lauren, and it was great to reconnect and yeah, I hope to come to New York where we can have a drink in person. That would be awesome. <laughs> Thank you for joining us for the second part of filmmaker and educator Christina Kotz Cornejo's extremely close-up interview on the Hangover Lounge blogcast, XCU The Viewfinder, where we discuss screenwriting, filmmaking, audio storytelling, and offer different perspectives on entertainment and all things showbiz related. If you'd like to join our mailing list or be a guest or contributor on our blogcast and share your point of view with our community, please reach out to us through our website at hangoverloungepodcasts.com and send us a message. And please check us out regularly for upcoming interviews with screenwriters, filmmakers, and industry insiders on our blogcast right here. Until then, thank you for listening.